For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Hello, Wizards fans. Welcome into another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm your host, Matt Moderno. Today, I've got my friend Jack Skolnick joining me from the Working Title podcast. If you've ever read the Wiz of Oz site over at Fansided, he's been writing there on and off for the last couple of years. So you've definitely seen his work uh, covering the Wizards or, or follow him on Twitter or any of that good stuff. So Jack and I are going to get into a little bit about what we saw from the preseason, and we're just going to do kind of a fun little hypothetical exercise. There's been a lot of talk about NBA expansion. When there's expansion, there's an expansion draft. Uh, typically teams get to keep eight players. So Jack and I are going to go through who are the eight players from this Wizards roster we would keep. And we'll just kind of continue to break things down in sort of non-Wizards news. Victor Wembanyama, the projected number one pick in the draft, is playing tonight, Tuesday night at 10 p.m. on ESPN2 against Scoot Henderson, the projected number two pick from the G League Ignite team. Again, that's 10 p.m. Tuesday evening, Tuesday night. So by the time you're listening to this, that's probably already passed, but that's okay. You have another opportunity. They also play again on Thursday at 3 p.m. So make sure to check that out if you're at all interested in the number one overall pick. There's been a lot of chatter in Wizards world about should they have blown things up or rebuilt or whatever. This would have been the year to capitalize on being bad and, and get one of those two guys if you could and get as many ping pong balls as possible. Seemed like seven or eight teams kind of have that general idea, maybe a few less than that, but still a lot. Uh, but doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of other good players in this year's NBA draft, specifically in that game on the G League Ignite team. There are a lot of different players that we'll talk about throughout the year here, kind of mentioning them as, as guys that could be available for the Wizards, hopefully later in the draft. Obviously, if the Wizards fall outside the lottery, they would give their pick up to now to the New York Knicks as a part of um, some of the previous trades that they've made. And if they're bad, they keep their lottery pick. So Either way, I'm not sure really what the best case scenario is at this point. They won't be bad enough to get a great lottery pick, although this year's lottery should be better than last year's lottery, or they're so good that they lose their lottery pick or lose their first round pick if it's outside the lottery. So they could always trade back in uh, one of these guys with expiring contracts, Kuzma or Barton, if it's not going well, you know, midway through the year, they could shop one of them to a contender for a late first round pick. So it's always worth still kind of paying attention to the draft because Tommy Shepard has at least shown that. He wants draft picks and draft capital, and he isn't afraid to buy his way back into a round or even early second round, something like that. So just to talk about one prospect in particular this week for this week's prospect profile, it's a guy that could realistically go as high as number three in this year's draft if he shows you know, the kind of um, upside that people think that he has. His name is Cam Whitmore. Again, potential to go anywhere from like three to 10, somewhere in that ballpark, which if the Wizards uh, last couple of years is any you know indication of where they'll end up, 
it's worth us paying attention to guys that could be the 10th pick. He's going to be a freshman at Villanova this year. He is uh, from Maryland. He's from Odenton, Maryland, where I went to high school. Um, I went to high school in Odenton, Maryland, not the same high school he went to. He went to Archbishop Spalding for anybody familiar with sort of the Anne Arundel County uh, private school scene. Uh, notable alumni, Rudy Gay, also played there, which is funny because Cam Whitmore kind of reminds me of high school Rudy Gay. Kind of a six eight, you know, mm-hmm. three and a half. He's a three slash four. And kind of powerfully built, explosive, not sort of the most skilled or polished player, but brings a lot to the table. He's super athletic. He just dunks angry. Like he looks like the rim has done something to aggrieve him and he needs vengeance. He finds a way to get to the rim at will. And, you know, he's not really kind of the most savvy ball handler, but he's got this powerful, quick dynamic first step and he just gets by people. Bigger guys can't stay in front of him. Quicker guys, he just kind of bulldozes. He's a good cutter. He's got a nose for the ball. He's like one of those people that just kind of find their way to like loose balls and rebounds and things like that. So it gives him a lot of like grab and go potential, which would make him a nightmare player to guard in transition. And that's honestly probably how he'll get a, like the majority of his buckets early on is just from like effort and energy and hustle and and things like that. He's not going to like break anybody down on the perimeter per se and hit a pull up three. Not that he can't do that. I just think it'll be tougher to do you know, it, as he kind of goes up from high school to college and then to the NBA, but we'll see. Maybe he's got more than I thought. The jumper is kind of a little like robotic-y looking, it's a little like far in front of his face, I think. So it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of make that more fluid over time. But I think this is a guy that can reasonably guard two through four, maybe even a couple small ball fives. The two is maybe a bit of a stretch, the more dynamic two guards in the NBA. He's not like the most quick laterally, but He's he's long and big, and like I said, he's he's pretty mobile. So I think he'd do a reasonable job. Some of those more dynamic two guards, nobody can really guard, so can't really hold that against him. Again, just for comps, I think his eventual role in the NBA, you know, the high end is probably something like the Golden State version of Andrew Wiggins, like a lockdown defender, really solid, can hit spot up threes, and just like bring you some versatility in who he guards. Like I said, the two through four kind of thing. I've seen a couple people compare him to Keldon Johnson, maybe slightly more athletic than a Keldon Johnson, but with like a less polished jump shot. So it's not a terrible comp. I think a lot of these teams would happily take Keldon Johnson somewhere in the lottery this year. So be somebody to keep an eye on. Again, uh, today we're going to talk a lot about what we saw from the preseason game so far and preview the next two preseason games. Got Jack joining me here in a couple minutes. Uh, But first, just a word from our partner at BetOnline. Football is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all football betting this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay, we got a lot to talk about with these preseason games, so let's get into it. Okay, I've got Jack Skolnick here with me. Jack, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem, Matt. Good to be here, man. Good to be here. And we got a pretty interesting set of things to talk about. We actually saw some Wizards basketball over the last week, so that's exciting for a change. But maybe before we get to the on-court stuff, uh, one of the recent announcements Former Wizards uh, screen setter extraordinaire Marcin Gortat 
going to be back as a temporary assistant coach. Uh, it seems a little weird to me to bring a coach <laughs> on formally for only like two weeks, but I don't know. Am I, am I the only one here? Is that a little offbeat or, or where do you land on this? I, it's a, it's a whatever for me to be honest. It's, it's like, I feel like it's just a recognition thing. Yeah. It's like having those guys, you know, those, those old school guys that are, you know, sitting in the box of the game kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, March's career in DC was very, uh, up and down, let's say with the fans. Um, but you know, anything, nothing can hurt, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's strange, but I'm just kind of like, Hey, if they think it'll work. I'll, I'll wait till we get, till we get there to see what's going on. So I think it's so funny. You've got like in Houston, you've got the university of Houston, maybe the top college program in the country this year. And they're excited to bring in both Elvin Hayes to teach <laughs> people, you know, about like offensive rebounding. And they've got Hakeem Olajuwon coming in to teach their bigs about post footwork. And we've got Gortat coming in to teach our guys how to set, hopefully, like legal illegal screens. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? You know what? That is a cause of, right? That's a cause of just bad roster development for yeah. fifty years. That's true. He, you know? he he's our Hakeem Olajuwon, and that's that says a lot. I mean, Brendan Haywood's already in the building. That's true. That's right. We so, can't, you know, can't where, get Brendan. Where else do they go? That's true. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess maybe like Gordot like redeemed himself enough with some fans by sticking up for Wall this offseason so they can like feel like they they could comfortably bring him back. Or I don't know, maybe they need to do him like a favor or something and he's trying to get into coaching overseas. It just it was kind of random. You, you've got teams bringing in like Phil Handy and Rico Hines and these guys that are like these workout gurus and savants and mm-hmm. player development, you know, extraordinaire and and. We've got March coming in to just you know, teach, <laughs> teach how to uh, how to box out, I guess. So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something I'm missing. Uh, I, I was a big proponent of them bringing in more former players to the coaching staff. So like I liked the James Posey pickup. I wouldn't even mind Gortat as like a real assistant coach. If you have one that's focused on the bigs, like I'm cool with that. It's just like the two week detail or whatever. It was just just very strange. Anyway, I feel like. I feel like the coaching staff has just always been like kind of bland almost yeah. like obviously like the interior stuff that goes on in the locker room and stuff like that. We'll never really know. Well, you would know better than anybody, obviously, but um, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like, you know, bringing in more players, it just brings more, you know, swagger to it, you know, yeah. to a team that realistically has some at times and doesn't have some at other times. So I'll put it nicely, I guess is the way to put it. So nice to just have outside voices also. I think J- I, I agree with you on the James Posey one just because that, you know, it seems like the Wizards are very um, keen on sticking in-house with a lot of stuff. Obviously, yeah. you know, even though Wes came from Denver, it's still, you know, he's still a, a DC guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, having the guy like Posey who's not, you know, in any way, shape, or form, you know, had a Wizards relationship is nice just to, just to switch things up, see where it goes. So I agree with you on that one. A guy that's like a career winner too. And, and you look at most of the successful teams, there's at least one player on the bench that has some kind of like track record as a player. And mm-hmm. instead we had like five foot six, Mike Longabardi the last couple of years <laughs> as our defensive guru. And not, <laughs> doesn't throw too much shade at Mike, but I got to imagine that like, you know, he's telling Gafford how he could play better defense. And if you're Gafford, you're like, really? I'm two feet taller than you. Like it just, yeah. it's a little tough. Absolutely. All right. So we actually saw some games here. So a little bit of a mixed bag for me, but maybe let's just start out with just sort of your overall positive takeaways, some things that you saw that you felt good about. What gave you the warm fuzzies, I guess? 
I think the the easy one, I obviously I did not stay up for these these overnight games, I'll be Don't honest. Yeah. Um, but I think that the easy one obviously is the Beal KP chemistry. Yeah. Right. Um, they're they're two guys who obviously haven't played together, and it's it's kind of interesting as as much, you know trash i talk about beal he's always been a guy who's very easy to play off of mm-hmm. or vice versa he can play off of somebody else so kp is obviously a guy who needs the ball in his hands you're not really sure how that works bringing back a 30 point per game score off the of injury so it was nice to see them be able to you know get a little bit of, of momentum going a little bit of you know intertwinement going to you know to put together a you know a, a solid game together in the first game i thought you know just them playing off each other specifically you know they both played you know fine in the grand scheme of things um, but I think that's the most important thing. I thought Monte looked good. Um, I thought he was as advertised. I think that's kind of just what you're going to get. You're just going to get a solid point guard to bring into your rotation. Never better, never worse. Just like exactly, exactly. that. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's kind of like, it's unfortunate because the, you know, the wizards and there, everybody knows the, you know, about the point guard play, but it's like, it's almost like relieving to just have a guy who can come in and just be a consistent, you know, consistent contributor, run an offense, you know, not turn the ball over and just kind of move from there is a leg up from, you know, what we've seen outside of wall in a year at Westbrook. So um, let's see what else. Let's stick with the KPE Beal one for a second. Cause I, I did think it, it felt to me, I didn't really like look at his season averages or per 36 or whatever, but it felt like Porzingis was settling for a lot of long jumpers in these preseason oh. games. And, and I don't know if that's like, I did think he and Beal looked fluid together. It seemed even more so in the second game with Beal out that he was like willing to just like hoist, you know, 35 foot threes, like anytime he got the ball. And when they did actually get him the ball kind of like at the top of the key or in the high post, it felt like they ran a lot more like cohesive offense. I thought. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, in the preseason, I almost wonder like how hard they want him to go as like an injury, you know, as a guy who, who's, you know, had some issues with injuries. I, that's just a guess. Um, but I almost wonder if they'd prefer him to hoist as a per, as opposed to him, you know, going one-on-one on the block. You don't need him banging knees with somebody and being out for two weeks. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and I think that's a preseason thing though. I think if it doesn't change, if it changes, you know, one, you know, maybe I'm correct. If it doesn't, maybe I'm incorrect. So that's just a guess. Um, makes a lot of sense. And honestly, that's maybe my most positive thing that I took away from Porzingis is just that in a game where they held everybody out, if they had even like the slightest little tweak, he played decent minutes in both games. Like that's a huge, a huge positive sign, I think, for his year. Yeah. And I think he's a, I think I personally have a lot of stock in Porzingis. Like I, you know, I think he's an out of sight, out of mind guy. I think that's what he's always been. Um, I think that everybody knows that when he plays, he plays well. And when he's, you know, when he's hurt, you don't see him for long stretches. Um, so I think that he's a guy where, you know, he, he said that he, you know, he lost a little bit of weight. He said that the added weight, you know, wasn't, you know, helping him at all. So he said, you know, hopefully losing a little bit of weight will help him out. And, you know, I think no matter the, the team that he's on, he can help you win as one of your high end contributors. And I think that that's definitely what this Wizards team needs. So, I, you know, I think that the sky is the limit for him on this current Wizards team. And losing a little weight, it's not like he needed it to bang inside with some of these bigger guys. Like he's got the length to make up for it against anyone. Maybe a little less weight, lighter on your knees. Maybe lets him protect the rim a little bit better. That's sort of the hope. He's got the cool beard now too, which, which I guess he said his girlfriend talked him into it. Uh, it seems to be working. So more power to her. Hey, 
whatever I'm in, the, I'm at the point with this team where if it works, keep it, That's right. if it works, keep it going. If the beard works for you, makes you not hurt. It works for me. We can all grow Porzingis playoff beards, hopefully, at the end of the year. Uh, I cannot, but I'll watch you guys. (laughs) Okay, there you go. (laughs) And that's totally fair. Uh, All right, circling back to Morris here for a second. And and I know I said, let's start with the positives. I don't mean this as a negative so much as just like a question. And it was while watching this team play, it's like, all right, Beal, very like scoring oriented. Porzingis, scoring oriented. Uh, Kuzma, scoring oriented. If they're going to start Rui or Barton, honestly scoring oriented. And I honestly kind of feel that way about Morris too. And I don't know if that's more so just like the mindset he got into last year, having to start, they needed more offense, but he looked to shoot like a good percentage of the time in these games. It felt like, and I really feel like, you know, his shooting helps from a spacing perspective, but also like they need somebody to create a couple easy looks. And maybe they think Beal can do that. Or like I said, high post Porzingis can do that. Or even Kuzma to some extent. So it'll be like, um, playmaking sort of by committee. But I, I did think that that was like a wrinkle that DeLon Wright brought that I didn't see from Morris. Like he got easy buckets for guys and, and started some of that was like defensive energy and forcing turnovers and stuff. But he seemed to look to create more, I thought, than Morris did. I think that DeLon Wright is like the the perfect backup guard to any type of winning team. Yeah. I think that he's one of those guys where I think that he's better suited playing behind no offense to Monte Morris, but like a higher end point guard. Agreed. Yeah. Um, you know, last year with, you know, he's last year in Atlanta with Trey young type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that he's like the kind of guy where you don't really think a whole lot about him when he's not on your team. And then you look at all the intangibles when he is on your team and you're like, this is a, this is the, you know, when you think of glue guys, you think of a lot of wings in mm-hmm. my opinion. When you think yeah. about, you think about three and D guys, you think about guys who can, you know, who can score, but, you know, I think that DeLon Wright is is the epitome of, like, what a glue guy should be, assuming he continues to play the way that he played in, in Japan. Um, you know, I think that he – they, the Wizards film room put up that clip of him um, defending multiple, position, multiple mm-hmm. positions, kind of going wing back up top and all that good stuff. And that's, like, as a Wizards That's what fan, we need. Yeah, we've never exactly. seen that before. <laughs> exactly. With, with no, you know, type of def- – you know, not a whole lot of defenders, it's like, just seeing the effort in general is is awesome. That's a, it's a low bar, but you know, it's it. Lo- he looked good. I he, thought he, he might be the best defensive guard since that like two years where Wall actually cared about like guarding people consistently. Yeah. Uh, so hey, we'll take it. I I would just wonder like maybe if you started right for like the first till the first TV timeout and just let him like create for others and set the tone defensively and brought Morris in off the bench and let him score against like second team guys. If that would be a better mix. I don't think they'll ever consider that in a million years. Cause you know, Monte is like a second son to Wes and mm-hmm. it's not what they brought him here to do, but just from like a roster balance perspective, I, I did have that thought while watching them play, but you know. it, I mean, it's the, it's the right thought when you think about the scoring on the first university, second unit, right? That second unit, there's not a drop off. There's still guys who yeah. are going to come in and shoot and, and can score. But obviously when you have, Bradley Beal, Christos Porzingis, and Kuzma in one lineup. Right. You know, you're not short on scores against any team. Right. So I, you know, I think that's, I think, I think you're 100% right. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. We'll see what the Monte situation is, but I doubt it. I bet Monte starts all 82 considering he stays healthy, but I, I definitely Agreed. agree. Uh, the other one here that, you know, you mentioned having a lot of stock in a player. I have a lot of Gafford stock. 
and I'm hoping that this is the year that it really pays off. I, I just can't get past the, like the first 20 games he spent as a wizard. Like he was such an immediate like game changer for them defensively. And we really haven't seen that yet. He was kind of weirdly in the doghouse last year, mm-hmm. like that Clippers game specifically, he somehow got pulled out and singled out as like the failure in the defense, except they didn't give up the big run until after he came out, which I'll, I'll never really understand, but he looked pretty good to me in sort of a minimal role and, and minutes, but we saw some like high level passing reads from Gafford in these preseason games, which I don't know. I, I also just remember him with the bulls and he just like, you didn't want him to do anything with the ball other than block it or dunk it. So <laughs> it says something to the, to his work ethic and their player development, I guess that he's even kind of capable of seeing more of the game that way. I do have one take on Daniel Gafford. And I cool. think that it, like it. it goes off of what you said about the first 20 games. I think that that first 20 games kind of screwed with his development with the wizards to be completely honest. So you, you, they traded for him and it was almost like a throw in, not a throw in trade, like just a, you know, a, a he wasn't expected to come in and be like a a game changing starting center right away. And then he comes in and he plays phenomenal basketball, those last 20 games. Right. And then I almost think that the, the wizards and their fans were like, Oh, this is our guy. Right. Clint Capella all of a sudden or whatever. Right. And he's a and Daniel Gafford is a rota- is a very very good solid rotational center, right? But it's it, they did the same thing with Bryant to an extent. Also, you kind of are pushing a guy who's not might not ever be that guy, but he can still be good, kind of kind of thing. And I think when they kind of started leaning on him to be their guy at center, it kind of made everybody have higher expectations for him, which I don't think he completely lived up to. Mm-hmm. Had he just been the rotational, you know, eighth guy, you know, the third, the third guy off the bench, I think everybody would be thrilled with Daniel Gavin right now. I think that that 20 yeah. games like created too high of expectations for him personally. I, I don't even think that's a take. I think that's just like a fact at this point. Yeah. Like we maybe, and to be honest, like, I just thought he would grow into more of that player over time and not even just like be that way full-time right out of the gate, but it also just didn't feel like, he had the opportunity to like play through mistakes last year. And, and I don't know mm-hmm. if that's like Wes coming from having veteran centers, not that Jokic was like the best defender of all time, but you know, he was one of the younger guys on the team playing a major role. You have to give him the opportunity to like kind of learn on the fly and, and have those growing pains. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see if he gets kind of a longer leash this year too, and how much they actually do like Porzingis and Gafford together. Um, I, I still don't really love that personally, just, but, you know, I mean, if, if they can do it and um, in certain matchups, uh, you know, just to find minutes for him, I think it'll be interesting to see how he looks over the course of a full season. Yeah, I think it, I think it's even easier, you know, with the with, you know, not that Bryant was like eating his minutes, but just the sheer fact of not having a, you know, a concrete third center at that point makes it easier for him. So I'm hoping that you're, you know, you're correct at that point. So I don't know if this is a take so much as just like a really bad, funny feeling here, but I may have said this on another pod or not. So anybody listening, forgive me if I just repeat myself, I've reached that age apparently, but I just have this bad feeling that somehow we'll look up in December and Taj Gibson is the backup center for the wizards. And just the way they've talked about him and, you know, like, I could just see Wes being that old school guy of like, you know, Taj is going to come in here and crack some skulls and he's going to be real solid. And, and maybe, you know, 
we'll send a message to all these young guys that if you don't defend, you won't play. And we'll just like look at like Gafford withering on the bench while they're giving like 22 minutes a game to Gibson, who's like, you know, basically a really athletic geriatric, uh, you know, it just, uh, that's a nightmare waiting to happen. I, I would be upset if that were the case. I, I think my like concern, I, I completely understand. I think that my problem with like the Taj Gibsons of the world is like the wizards weird enamorment with recreating Paul Pierce in DC. Right. So it's like, it's, a, it's perfect. Is, yeah. is Taj Gibson like the type of guy you want to have on your roster? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thousand percent. He's, you know, Veteran leader, physical defender, awesome. You love having that kind of guy on your team. But, you know, do we really need him playing more than 10 minutes a game? No. Should he be the third best player on your playoff team? (laughs) Exactly. The Wizards love creating this, like, this enamorment with having these guys not only be veteran leaders, but also playing heavy minutes for some reason, which is on the coaching staff. You know, they're not not devoid of, of getting blamed there, but... You know, it's just kind of one of those things where it's like awesome signing. I get it, but it's like you can't you can't have Gafford commit two fouls in the first quarter and then go to Taj for the rest of the half, or the you next know? three games after that. Even you know, that's exactly. the shit I worry about. I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll see. I, I can't believe we've gone this far into our positives here without talking about Rui Hachimura, if only to piss off certain people on Wizards Twitter that still just are unwilling to admit that he looked pretty good in those two games. He went for 13 and nine and 11 and 10. He seemed pretty aggressive to me. He looked like he could shoot at high, you know, higher level. Like I don't think last year was a fluke and he looked a little like lighter and spry, you know? So I I think this is going to be a big year. Like contract year Rui is going to be a real thing. I, I, you know, I, I also saw some like, insane takes on Twitter as well. Like we've been trying to keep track of the worst wizard takes of the season. I think an early <laughs> front runner is that Rui is like already wildly better than Kuzma. Um, that that's insane to me from two preseason games, but I did see that take a, a, a reasonable amount of time. So if you said that you're wrong, maybe he can get <laughs> to that point at some point. Uh, but it's, it's two preseason games. Rui looked good. Kuzma looked bad. Let's see when the games actually matter. Absolutely. I, I think really it's so funny how players create such broad ends of the spectrum when it comes to conversational pieces. And I say that because I'm so in the middle of it. Like I'm, I have <laughs> not like a huge jury guy, but I don't hate him either. Like he's a solid basketball player, yeah. right? He's improved year in and year out. Right. He still looks a little like he's like freestyling out there from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like, just, you know, he's still trying to get that feel completely right for the NBA game, yeah. but he's a guy you want to have on your team. It's, it's kind of similar to the Gafford thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why people don't like him so much is because you're putting a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations on a guy who was drafted ninth overall. I got it, mm-hmm. but like, he's look at his builds, look at his frame, look at how he's always played. He's never going to be that guy, but he can still be a very, you know, good basketball player who contributes for your team who's continuing to get better and he'll get a solid contract when the season's over. I even if he plays poorly, I bet you, even if it's not with Washington, I bet you he still gets a solid contract somewhere. This is the thing that confuses me. Like I kind of understand tribalism and like this notion of like I was a Rui guy or I'm not a Rui guy. And if I ever say anything nice about him, I've I've admitted I was wrong this entire time. Like I, I I, I, I understand how people are doing that, but to me, it's like, Hey, I don't like certain players, but they're on my team. 
I'd still rather them look good and be able to say, hey, I was wrong. That guy got better or he did used to suck, but now he doesn't anymore. Like, I don't know why that's a bad thing. Absolutely. And, you know, admitting he did one thing well or looked good in two preseason games doesn't suddenly mean you have to, like, go on national TV and apologize to him or anything. That's just the Twitter way, man. It's it's Twitter you, way. If somebody when somebody performs, you don't want to if you didn't have stock in them and you didn't, you know, you were saying that they weren't going to be good. It's it's you, you're not allowed to admit that you were wrong. That's very true. Uh, any other positives that you saw from um, from any of this so far? I'm trying to go through the rotation because we talked about the um, Kuz will get better. I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, shot selection, not great, but I don't think there's anything to be too concerned about so far. I, not surprising either. I think that's like, there's a lot. Th- that's the other thing about this, the Wizards in the preseason was nothing that happened was overly surprising. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Like it was all MO at that point. Like it's just how the Wizards have been playing these past couple of years. I'm trying to think like back end stuff. Uh, nothing, nothing too crazy. Nothing that I was like, wow, that's a, you know, that's going to be a, you know, serious, you know, you know, moving forward piece, but they look all right. They look, I mean, they looked like the wizards look. <laughs> I've got a couple and I won't even say concerns because I don't put that much stock in a playoff game, but, but there are things that I was a little uh, more hopeful would be different. How about that? I don't know how, yeah. what, what you call that, if not a concern, but it's like a maybe concern eventually. So mm-hmm. Kispert's jump shot just still looks really like flat to me. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen like a professional shooter who hits like the bottom front of the rim as often as he does. And, and I thought that improved over last season. So maybe that's just something they need to like get, you know, like, beat into his head a couple more times, you know, in film session, like you miss short on everything, get some more arc. I, I, I don't know, but like, it does a little bit worry me about if he ever hits his, like for him to get max value, he's got to be like a 43% three point shooter or something. And at least, and if he's four or 35 again, like it's hard to justify giving him real minutes on a good team. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it, Kispert's a very intriguing player overall because it's like the guy has shown that when he can shoot it, he can shoot it. Mm-hmm. Right? He's shown when he can, he can't. You know, it's, it's it's a streaky thing. He you know improved defensively, but you're I mean you're right. The shot's flat. It's it's one of those ones where it's like in year one, it's cool. You know, it is what it is. You're rookie, but you know, you're. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, but like shooting form is something that we've seen with so many guys where if you don't get it right early, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well. And I think that he's got better touch and better, you know, shooting Mm -hmm. form. He's not going to be a bad shooter, right? but it's like they, you know, the wizards almost need him to be like Kyle Corver esque. He has to be your shooting specialist. your one elite threat on the court. And Which he's shown that he can be like, you know, he's shown that he can do it. It's just, Mm -hmm. you're hundred percent right. Like it's, it's, it's fine tuning almost to me. It's like, you got to get that right soon or else you're going to fall behind in that. You're not going to be able to become anywhere near Kyle Korver. And now you just kind of have this guy who can shoot a little bit and that's about it. Right. This is where the teacher comes up and she slaps you on the hand lightly with a ruler. Like one time, it's just like the reminder, like, Hey, you like, what do we talk about? Um, So hopefully that's a thing. And and I don't want to put it off as like, he's this, this totally one dimensional only guy. Like somebody's going to come at me like, well, he really attacks closeouts. Well, uh, okay, cool. 
uh, well, the defense got a little better. Okay, cool. But y- you need him to shoot. And and I hope that's something that they're talking to him with. Uh, we mentioned Morris, hopefully being able to be more of a distributor as the season goes on. And then I, I think realistically, the big concern is the one that everybody loves to talk about. And I would be lying if I didn't say it, it didn't concern me to some extent, but I'm also not like in full panic mode, but, but Johnny Davis did not look very good. And it's discouraging to see guys, you know, I was higher on than consensus in that Warriors game that, that looked very good. Like I really liked Ryan Rollins. I had him with a first round grade. We like Trevion Williams out of Purdue, had him with like a just early second round grade. He ultimately went undrafted. And so I was like excited to watch these other guys. And I'm like, fuck, man, they both look better than our 10th overall pick. Uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Like typically these high school guys that are elite and then struggle in college, I usually keep all my stock. I was totally out on Patrick Baldwin and he looked just so much better. And it's just like, man, you know, I'm sure he'll turn into a decent player. But I feel it's just hard to think like we couldn't have done like a little better. That's all. It, I mean, it, it goes back to like the same problem that the Wizards have had for years in drafting. And it's that they're so enamored with low floor guys. Yeah. And it's it's like it's not even a Johnny Davis thing, which is this, as just like you wrote in your article yesterday. Like it's it's not a Johnny Davis thing. It's just the wizard, you, you know, at least go take a couple of swings. Right. Yeah, but, you know, the, the closest thing they've done with that in the past couple of years is Denny, mm-hmm. who is a who is you know, definitely more on that, like high, you know, high ceiling, lower floor guy, but still nothing, you know, there's no cam reddish on this team. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that Johnny Davis is another guy who will kind of the wizards organization, the wizards coaching staff and the way that they play will make or break his career within like a year or two. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a whole lot of, I have I wasn't very vocal about Johnny Davis when they drafted him because it was such a like wizards thing to do. You know, every every writer in the country yeah, had Johnny Davis at 10, right? And he's shown, you know, he showed at Wisconsin that he can do some things that are first round worthy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he can create, he can shoot, you know, he can defend, he can do these things, but it's like nothing's high end, yeah. right? So it's kind of like you know, he'll play a little bit. He'll be okay in, in year one. And I think you described him early. I think it's Troy Brown Jr. All over again with a different skill set is, is, is very similar to how it's going to go, in my opinion. So I have, I have a little more hope for him than Brown, only because he seems to like want to defend already. And even in those two preseason games, he was like the first one on the floor for loose balls and stuff like that. And as much as I liked Troy Brown, the person, it just never seemed like he really got it and like what he needed to do to like latch on. And maybe he'll do that next to LeBron when he wasn't willing to do that for like a 30 win team. But I think at least Davis has a little more like MF to him. And, and Brown is like the ultimate, like nice guy, finger gun, pat mm. you on the back kind of guy. Yeah. I think that one take just to go with that is, is it's a good point only because like growing up playing AAU, playing high school basketball, all those things, they always tell you when you're, lacking confidence mm-hmm. right you need to find other ways to contribute yeah right so johnny davis did not look confident out there in the preseason in or in summer league against golden state he just doesn't he doesn't look comfortable yeah. right so he's got to find other ways that he can contribute 
and at least bring a little bit of energy when he's on the floor. Cause if you're not contributing, you gotta have, you can't just be, you know, they can't be playing five on four. So if he's diving for loose balls, if he's at least, you know, contesting, if he's at least, you know, closing out, doing all these things, at least that gives you more confidence that at least he's, he realizes what's happening in his own head and realizes mm-hmm. that he can look at the game in another, in another fast. So and he hasn't made a shot yet. I'd like to see him just take the ball and barrel recklessly to the hoop. You may not get that call as a rookie, but at least if he could get himself like some rhythm at the free throw line or something, mm-hmm. it, it might kind of jumpstart some things. I don't know. But or if he gets a look, hoist it. Like don't think. Just yeah. you you heaved every shot you took at Wisconsin. Do that again. Like that's what I'd be telling him if I'm Wes, at least for the preseason. I, I do think he looked a little better next to like better players and competent yeah. adults. So that's another reason why I think this like Johnny Davis has to spend the whole year in the G league thing is like an idiotic take. Not yeah. that he wouldn't benefit from some time in the G league, but I, I think anybody that thinks that they're going to relegate their lottery pick to the G league for the majority of the year is crazy. And I will very much uh, eat crow on that. If that ends up being wrong and he plays a lot for the go-go, but uh, you know, Someone was arguing with me in like the Bolts Forever message board. They were like, oh, lots of lottery picks play, you know, significant stretches in the G League. And I'm like, cool. Who are they? I'm like, well, um, James Wiseman did. It's like, actually, no, he didn't. Well, Kaminga did. Well, no, Kaminga played seven seven games in the G League last year. Like, that's not significant G League time to me. The G League teams actually play 40 plus games every year. If you play seven of them, it's not meaningful, in my opinion. It's also an organizational structure thing yeah. also, right? So like, I mean, again, I'm, I feel like I'm like, I'm trying to be as, you know, I'm trying to educate the listeners as much as I can without trying to bash the wizards, but it's like, they're, they don't have the the time or the place to take a lottery pick and stick them in the G league for too exactly. long. I think that's the way that they think. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that's the way that all of us fans think, yeah. but I just think that they're going 10th pick. This kid needs to be out there. So I think that, you know, when you have, and when you, and like, you know, you talk about Golden State, you're talking about a team that's a consistent championship contender. So when they do have young guys, you have more than enough bodies. Yeah, to get a minute somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. It's not like so, the Wizards are so good. They're not going to be able to find 14 minutes a game for Johnny Davis over, you know, the bulk of the season, especially when somebody eventually gets hurt or they have some kind of COVID, you know, situation, or hopefully that's not the case, but it, it just happens. Right. So like, if you've got, Kispert as your example from last year, he looked bad in summer league in sort of that like non-structured system. Mm-hmm. And he looked slow to start the year and rounded into form. I assume that they think that they can do that with Davis and that their player development is so good that they'd rather have him like as close to their coaches as possible. And he can play with these better guys and kind of learn on the fly. That's, that's what I think they think. Again, I'm not saying it's the right thing, but us continuing to be like, oh, yeah, I don't even think he could like hang against G-leaguers, I think is sort of just wildly wrong. I also think that like just from a broader perspective that this is just the difference between this like new era of like high school, young AAU play versus mm-hmm. more structured. The Wizards like structured basketball, yeah. right? You look at the guys that they've drafted the past couple of years, they are good college basketball players, right? They're not 18-year-old you know, high flying high school slash G league selects guys. So I think that to give that, to give Johnny Davis and Kisper a little bit of credit, I think that, like you said, that unstructured, you know, type of play that you see in summer league 
that you see a little bit in preseason, depending on who's playing. Sure. I think that's when they're they're going to be screwed. I think those types mm-hmm. of guys are screwed the most. I think the more structure that they like that they had in college, which is what the NBA is going to bring you, the better off that those types of guys will be. Considering that's how the Wizards draft. I totally agree, and I think to to bolster your point there too, like they've said outright, part of what they liked about Rui was that he was not an AAU guy. That mm-hmm. he didn't have those extra miles on his body, but also he didn't have any bad habits that come from that. And I think sometimes the problem with like, here we put you in like the structured offense, like sometimes it, it limits your ability to like freelance and free think. And, and in the NBA, you have to be able to do that. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. everybody wants to be like the 2014 Spurs where we run this like really fluid, beautiful <laughs> offense. But sometimes somebody other than Beal has to be able to take the ball and, and go get a bucket. And you see Kuzma mm-hmm. try to do that. And I don't know that we want him ISOing somebody on the perimeter and dribbling between his leg 12 times before hoisting a three, but um, you know, like somebody's got to help be out. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like longer term. It's that combination that, that you go back to where it's just, it becomes kind of wonky, right? You have those top tier guys and then you have younger guys who are system guys. That's just, they're just system basketball players. Right. And the Bradley Beals of the world aren't necessarily big AAU guys. Right. But they're just guys who have learned how to become stars in the NBA, which consists of the type of play that you're talking about, which is why having those guys is rotational drafting, right? You're drafting guys to be rotation guys. You're not drafting guys to be, to go get that bucket. You're drafting them to come off the bench and hit a couple of threes and defend and, you know, swipe passing lanes and do things like that, which is why it, it their roster is just wonky in general. So, yeah, we could do another full hour on how bad I think they do of an overall team building job, but I will try to like uh, restrain myself here a little bit. They've got two preseason games left, no home preseason games this year, although there is a, a home practice coming up. So on the 10th at 7 p.m., they play Charlotte in Charlotte. And then on the 11th, for anybody, again, it's October 11th, coming up right around the corner here, they have an open practice at 6 p.m. So you can get out there and you can actually watch them and see how they look and kind of get your first like eyes on the team and, and how they you know work through things. And there's giveaways and George Mirasan will be there and all these other fun things, I guess. But they'll trot Shanir out there because that's what they do after they kind of screwed him on the way out. Again, <laughs> And then on the 14th at 7.30 p.m., they play the New York Knicks. So uh, from these two preseason games or the practice or whatever, is there anything else like you're hoping to see that you didn't get to see thus far from them? I mean, it's just the cohesion thing. This The the roster turnover of this team is always kind of, you know, it's, it comes and goes. Sometimes they bring back the same team. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, like figuring out that, three spot is still the most important thing. Um, they I, they have to have an answer by the time the regular season starts. I think you're going to struggle if you have to wait 10 or 15 games to figure out, does Barton need to be playing heavy minutes? Mm-hmm. Does Danny need to be playing heavy minutes? Does Rui need to be playing heavy minutes? Whoever you think needs to be in that spot. Their options are fine, right? They're, yeah. they're fine, but you need to come to a conclusion fairly quickly in whatever facet that is, whatever you're, whatever West is looking for, whatever the coaching staff is looking for. They just, I just think they need to make a decision on that soon. Cause it seems like it's kind of still up in the air and it's never really seemed like it's been come close to being answered since these moves have been made. So that's the biggest one for me. I like that. And I would say you make that decision and you stick to it for the first eight to 10 games. Mm-hmm. 
you give them a real sample size to see how they look. It's not, oh, he played bad the first game and now we're going to flip flop. Yeah. But it's also not, we started this guy, so we'll have to leave him for the entire rest of the year. Uh, that, that's the kind of stuff I I hate. Like you've got to be able to make like reasonable informed adjustments based on, on what the eye test is showing you. The other thing I'd like to see from them is just like a few minutes for some of these like fringe periphery guys. Like I'm a big believer in using the G league to its fullest again, maybe not so much with Davis, but the Jordan Goodwins, the Jordan shackles, like Mm -hmm. people like that, Quentin Jackson, it'd be nice to see if he can do anything in a few minutes with some of these like real guys that will actually play meaningful minutes. Just, just so you have some idea of what you got kind of going into at least the G league season. Those guys are always sparks too. Like when they come in to do anything positive, that's not just a good for him moment that the team they back. That's like, it's like that in every sport. You know, when you have like a fringe guy who comes in and hits a couple of threes a guy who's, you know, playing good defense, like that's a, you know, that's a team, you know, building type of thing so i you know i i'm not opposed to that especially with this kind of team uh again i've been keeping track of all the bad wizards hot takes so everybody <laughs> listening if you want to write this one down and nominate me for it you're welcome to do it but <laughs> as my hottest take i actually think i would rather like them like hold on to shackle than kispert uh, I think he gives you 80% oh. of what Kispert can give you. I buy him being able to shoot it at a higher percentage, even though he gives you a little less off the dribble and he's going to be a lot cheaper. I think we've seen it with teams like uh, the heat the last couple of years, like with hero and Robinson, like because they played hero more, they had to play Robinson less because you can't just have, you know, two negative defenders on the court and make a playoff run. Unless Kispert's a lot better. I, I don't see him being a meaningful you know, fifth, sixth man kind of guy on a playoff team. And eventually they're going to have to pay him $20 million a year or whatever that looks like. So longer term, like, can you find a cheaper replacement and get a reasonable approximation of a limited skill set? Just goes back to the lack of shooting. Yeah. That's really, really what it comes down to. It's just like, you kind of like, I think that the wizards, you know, need to have Corey play well, just because they, besides him, you know, don't have a whole lot of shoot. And I think that, you know, I, I don't. I won't say that I agree or disagree with your shackle take. It, uh, I'm, I'm being like a little facetious here. Like I obviously don't think shackle is better than Kispert, but just from like a larger point, I just don't want to see us like throw a ton of money at Kispert and then he's like, what happens to Robinson happens to him. Yeah, no, I completely get it. It's, and it goes back to the stuff we were talking about earlier. It's you know he's got to figure it out soon, right? Those those shooting guys who are a little bit. Um, you know, can't help as many, as many ways due to lack of athleticism and things like that. They got to shoot it and they got to shoot it. Well, it's not, it's, you know, it's the only thing they can do when Duncan Robinson isn't shooting. Well, yeah, you're not, paying, not much else you get. Yeah. You're paying all that money for a guy who's, you know, doing wind sprints. So I just want us to find a Max Struess once. Like, I think we actually found <laughs> someone like that in Garrison Matthews. And then I don't know, maybe because he voted for Trump, they chose not to keep him around or, or whatever, like actually drove that decision. But something something else went on there. That's all I'm saying. Who all right. who did go with over him? Like, was there a was there a specific like guy that ended up taking his spot? Bringing Neto back on another veterans minimum or something. I mean, I think that's basically how that ended up. It uh, It's so weird with a team that's so like all over the place, shoot, like bringing in shooters that. Ugh, I don't get it either. Cause I, I thought the same thing. 
think. I almost forgot about Garrison Matthews because I was like, you know, I was just so upset when they didn't bring him back. Yeah. But it's just like with a team that's so lacking in the shooting department, it's just like I will figure it out. I mentioned him enough that people are like, dude, you've kind of like romanticized him in your head. He wasn't really that good here. And it's like, yeah, but he was good enough and he was super cheap and he was undrafted and he was there find. And he has potential to get better too. It's not like a finished product. And it's like, yeah, he was older, but so was Kispert. Like you can't wait three years for Kispert to become an impact player and then immediately have to decide on what to do with his extension. I feel like a lot of that, you have to look at it as on the basketball court personally. I feel like that's the type of question mark where it, and this is just, this is just a, a made up, you know, you know, thing, but if you're choosing between Corey Kispert and Garrison Matthews, you're taking whoever's playing better basketball. Right. And Garrison Matthews, like, you know, but I, I'm, you know, as a nerdy basketball watcher too, watching him run around screens, watching him constantly moving is the type of thing where if I'm coaching, I'm, I want that kid, even if he's not, well, you know, he, he moves in all, he moved in all the ways where I was just like, this mm-hmm. is a guy I always want on the court. Right. Not on, not on yeah, the, I agree. Just on just on your in your in your second team type of stuff, he you know he was a guy where it was just like, what's what's not to like? He, you don't you're not gonna expect him to be the starting three and, and knock down ten threes every game. It was like he can come in, he can play fifteen minutes for you, and he's gonna hit shots when he plays, right? And he's always yeah. the, I've never seen he's always moving. Yeah, I agree. And he, and he shoots well off movement, which I don't think Kispert does particularly well. Yeah, so you got it. I mean, you just got to look at it whether it's Shackle Kispert. I think you just the Wizards are very very into the stock that they put into guys, unfortunately, but I think you just have to go purely off who looks better, whether it be in practice, whether it be in game, whether it be in preseason G league, whatever it is, like you have to get away from the stock. Like, just like we were talking about with us as fans, like if you got it wrong, you got it wrong, but yeah, move, move on, on and make, yeah. make the call and put the right guy. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and again, not saying they should overreact. I don't mean the Kispert Hive, you can calm down. Like, I'm not trying to shit on Corey directly here. It's more just Kispert. again. I'm a Kispert guy, so they can, they can, <laughs> like, that we're both Kispert. It, it, it's, a, it's just a question about team building and what archetypes you want to invest in long term. And, and that one is a questionable one to me. Now, if they can keep him longer term at a good price, you know, I, I'm all for it. All right. Uh, let's use that as a, segue into here just kind of keeping like what's valuable to them from a roster building perspective and there's been a lot of talk about nba expansion even though adam silver both said they were and weren't thinking about expansion in the same sentence i don't really know how he pulled that off but they're not immediately having talks about expanding but it is something they are thinking about for the future which to me means it's coming any day now and there was some reporting that they were going to announce it during the preseason that Eventually, they'll try to add teams in Las Vegas and Seattle. In the past, when there has been expansion, uh, they've done a, an expansion draft, which means teams can protect up to eight players on their roster. So they have to strategically choose who to protect and who to leave available. And let's say there was only one expansion team or one expansion draft going on at a time. like They could only ultimately lose one player from that roster. So once they've had one guy that's been kind of picked off, then the rest of their guys are safe. I don't actually know how that works. If there are two teams, if two guys can then be taken, but let's just assume that, you know, we'll go through here and we'll say, who are the eight guys we think they should protect? And I think some of these are a little more obvious than others. And then at the end, it gets a little kind of questionable about, you know, what you, what you want to do. Definitely got tricky when I was going through it. 
I, I again, I maybe have a take here too. Um, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it's received. But all right, I think if they were doing this, and I, if I am putting my Tommy Shepard hat on, Beal, Porzingis, let's say Gafford are are probably no brainers to them. That does that yeah. seem safe? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't see. I, I had all. I had all of them. Uh, all right, and then. I would also assume Morris is safe, given that he's like the adopted son of Wes Unsell Jr. and on a pretty good contract. So that's four. Kispert, they're definitely going to protect. That's five. Johnny Davis, they just took, so I can't imagine them making him available. To me, that's six. And I also can't see them punting on Denny this early in his career. So that's seven. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to get a little tricky. Like DeLon Wright, uh, you know, how much do they care about him long-term Kuzma, Rui Barton are all due for extensions. So do you protect a guy? Actually, I don't even think they can protect somebody that's not under contract. So this is kind of a flawed hypothetical, but you know, would they, uh, I guess is even sort of the question here. And then Todd hasn't really shown enough. And then hopefully Gibson Gill, Vernon Carey, guys like that, they wouldn't waste one of these spots on. So anybody I missed, like who would you kind of use that last spot or two on? So when I was doing this, I'll be completely honest. I left Davis off. Okay. Uh, It's, and again, I feel so bad for the kid because I, it's not a, it's not a knock on him. I don't dislike Johnny Davis, the player. It's just like, there's other guys. Again, I don't know how it works either. I kept Kuzma. Mm -hmm from a pure talent thing. Sure. Like, I'm just like, you can't have a guy and come in and play at a high level. Like he did last year. He's due for an extension. I got it. They're in a weird, you know, cap space, you know, a cap situation. But if you're going to ride this Bradley deal thing, you can't just let guys who are talented, just walk in that right. fast. If it, if it comes down to it, if it comes down to him walking because of extension talks falling through, so that's it. something else. But like, I feel like if it's an expansion thing, I feel like that's the kind of guy where you're talking about a roster that's always just so short on talent in general. I feel like he's just, it's hard to, to not give him an extension and keep him personally. Um, Rui, <laughs> Rui's almost in the same boat. The thing with Rui is like, I just don't think he's as talented as Kuzma. Agreed. So I was very all over the place between Davis, Hachimura, and Kuzma. I was kind of – I ended up going with Kuzma, and I pretty much had every – I think I had everybody else that you said. Um, But the main ones I left off, I think, were when I counted, I think it was Rui and Davis. I I think that that makes sense. And I I just think from an optics perspective that if this were the case, they would never let Davis be available just because. and. Mm -hmm even if it was kind of the right move. So let's just say this, this does happen in 2024 and you've had Kuzma signed to a reasonable extension by then. Like there's no way that they make a guy like that available if he's playing, you know, reasonably up to the contract. So I'm Mm -hmm. with you there. All right. So here's my take. It's 2024. The NBA has said that they're going to expand. You have to protect these eight players. The wizards are still like a 37 win team. Is there any like world where they would consider not making Bradley Beal one of their eight protected players? <laughs> if if you're a, like an expansion team, would you want to take a guy on a like a super max equivalent contract, you know, just to give yourself somebody as a linchpin for your roster? 
And if you're the wizards, would you be willing to do that just to clear the books, you know, knowing you can't get anything from in return from it? I would assume not unless he's playing so bad or been hurt or something like that. But then again, nobody would pick him up anyway. Well, I think, first of all, I think that if you're a Seattle or a Las Vegas team, you're salivating at the idea of having Bradley Beal come to your team. Because like, although the, you know, the Wizards haven't done a great job of building around him, he's still a 30-point scorer who is literally one of the best scorers in the game, right? Like, there's not a whole lot of guys who can score from three levels the way that Bradley Beal can. So talk about those other teams. If Bradley Beal got left, regardless of what his contract is, if Bradley Beal was on the table, I'd he'd be my first pick if I was Vegas or, or – or Seattle, you know, my thoughts on Beal. Um, it's a little bit more trollish when we're talking on Twitter and stuff. It depends on like the Porzingis stuff and Kuzma stuff. Are they playing at a high level? If they're playing at their current level, I think you have to keep Beal and they're still under contract, right? If they've, if they've gotten better, if Kuzma's taken on that, not star role, but Kuzma's taken that another step, and Porzingis is the same guy that he's been, who's like a fringe all-star, you know, 20.9 rebound guy. It's an interesting question. Um, I probably wouldn't do it unless push, unless, they, like I just said, those two guys turned it really bottomed out or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's a very interesting question because you're out of capo to an extent, depending on the Kuzma contract. You get nothing back, but it's an instant reset to add whoever you want to add. Like, I think that's sort of the only angle of that that would even make it like a question in their mind is just like, okay, could we clear the books immediately? By 2024, unless you've signed him to an extension, Porzingis is off the books. Let's say they've kept Kuzma. He probably still doesn't have too much longer on whatever his deal looks like. So it would be like an immediate chance to kind of like, you know, finally rebuild uh, if you chose to do that. I don't think there's any shot in hell that the Wizards would do that, even if the Wizards won 15 games in 2024. Agreed. Um, but it's a it's a very interesting exercise. It, it's also like puts you in the situation of like, do one of those teams want to start a bidding war if we keep Beal and try to move it, right? And bring yeah, in a good point. whatever. You know, I'm not going to say what a trade will look like for Beal in two years because those, you know, those trade packages always change. Um, but you know. It's interesting. I, I don't think there's any chance in a, in a million years that the Wizards would do that, but there's more to it than you'd think. I, in my mind, it was like when I even posed it to myself, it was like an immediate no. But the more I thought about it, I was like, well, there, there, maybe there's some merit there. Again, I, I agree with you. They would never do it. And I'm actually like a firm believer of you had to give him the extension because someone like him will always maintain some kind of trade value. The mm-hmm. fact that they can even just use like Westbrook as salary filler and some picks to eventually turn some players, you know, around for the Lakers, like that uh, Gobert was untradeable after he got that extension for a few months mm-hmm. and then he got four first round picks or whatever. Like Beal will always recoup some value for them. So I, I think that kind of takes this off the table, but I did at least want to throw it out there. No, I completely understand. You brought it up to the right person. <laughs> uh, yeah. we got a Beal truther here, which I thought was uh, very appropriate and, and just, this is wild to me, but you maybe you've seen this stat before, but uh, by 2027, the top five career earners in NBA history will be Kevin Durant at 498.7 million, mm-hmm. Steph Curry at 470 million, mm-hmm. Dame Lillard at 449, LeBron at 432, 
and Bradley Beal at 429. He will have made by yeah, by 2027, he will have brought in $429 million. I will tell you that Bradley Beal, the businessman, might be the best businessman. <laughs> yeah. Just it's hard to argue. Just get money perspective. I mean, the guy has played it so yeah. beautifully. Yeah. We I give him shit. All, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can curse on him. Fire away. I give him things all the time, but I've said it since the jump. The man is going to get his money and he deserves it the way that he's played this organization into, into paying them. So I do have to give him credit for that. I, I always say you're worth whatever somebody will pay you. And mm-hmm. if we're willing to give you three max deals in a row, like then you were clearly worth three max deals in a row, whether we are good or not. Uh, all right, because I'm feeling frisky here, I just want to end it on on kind of one last note. And this is my probably third terrible take of the day. But I tweeted <laughs> this out and I know you can relate to at least some part of this. So I, I, I want to talk about it in real time for a minute. For anybody mm-hmm. that does not give a shit about Ravens football, you can end the podcast here early. Uh, but Jack and I do. So I, I just want to like talk about this on air for five minutes. Yeah. My John Harbaugh is basically a luckier version of Scott Brooks take. Am I wildly <laughs> off base here? It's it's not it's not super off base. I think that Harbaugh, the difference between Scott Brooks and Harbaugh is Harbaugh's problem is he at one point was a better coach and he's kind of just didn't he hasn't progressed. He he's not a progressive coach. I think that Scott I, I never thought Scott Brooks was a good coach, even when OKC was in the finals. So I think that. Uh, it was what you're what you're saying is is correct. I think that they're just different. Was Harbaugh ever really that good a coach, or was he a special teams guy that somehow landed a lucky job with a veteran roster that had a really good GM? And by the way, they were extremely well coached on the field by their own veteran players, and they just happened to so like luckily coincide with the year Ray Lewis was gonna like retire and oh by the way one guy for denver falls down and they kind of like backdoor their way into a championship i think that harbaugh just i think that the most important thing early was that he he adapt he adapted to the roster early he hasn't adapted since then when he came in that team was very average offensively with a rookie joe flacco playing quarterback and a very good defense Mm -hmm. right aging but very good and he said this team is defends and runs the football. So that's what we're going to do. And that's what they did. And that's what won them a Super Bowl. And then he just didn't adapt moving forward to his, his own roster, which is what he did when he got there, which is my, I got to give him a little bit of credit. Sure. Not a lot, but a little bit. I mean, Scott Brooks made an NBA finals with a very young, young roster. Granted they had generational talent, three hall of famers at least, but still like, he he had early you know success and he didn't have sort of those other like if he wins that title that year is is he still the coach in Oklahoma City like I just think at a certain point that one Super Bowl as good as it was and I don't mean to totally invalidate Harbaugh's like achievement but at a certain point you can't ride that for forever and when you look at the offensive coordinators for this team like how are you loyal to Cam Cameron? Jim Caldwell, Mark Tressman, Marty Morningweg, and Greg Roman, like all in a row. Like no good coach could watch those guys and be like, yeah, this is elite offensive stuff here that they're rolling out. It's it's almost like 
the the Ravens are like a level below the Wizards in the sense that Tommy trusts everybody in house below him, yeah. and John trusts everybody. So obviously, John, John is lower on the totem pole, but John is like this is it's. I mean, it's the same thing with McDonald right now. Yeah. I'm not my I'm not out on McDonald's. It's been four games, but it's like this guy's not going anywhere mm-hmm. right now, right? Mm-hmm. If Roman is still here, who was not a Harbaugh guy originally, who is now a Harbaugh guy, but just Roman, blindly loyal to these dudes. I don't understand. Like who has the naked pictures at some point? I think that they're, I think that the Ravens are also kind of like looking at it in the sense of like, is, is a change going to take longer? Cause they're like, the Ravens are like, yeah. we're, you know, we're, we're going to compete. We're going to compete. We're going to compete. So if they bring in a new OC who has no, you know, affiliation with the organization, is it going to take them a little bit of time to get going all over again? Kind of thing. It's always the the you know the 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 purple patrols words are always like, well, if you get rid of them, who are you going to replace? With? Name three options that you're replacing. With. And I, you know, I I don't call for anybody's head. I just think that things need to change. But it's kind of like sometimes you can take a year. You know what I'm saying? Like last year, like last year they kind of took a year yeah, a some, bit. but Lamar got hurt it felt like that yeah so it's 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 the i think their thought process is that it's 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 harder to to you know restructure things and restart things when you have a guy like harbaugh it's also hard with lamar in the spot that he did, right if you go I, I again i'm not a big harbaugh guy i'm not a mcdonald guy i'm not a roman guy but it's if you sign lamar jackson to this huge contract extension and then you and then you clean house I, it might what's, be the best. What's the point? Yeah, but. best idea ever, right? It might work perfectly. This, these guys might be holding Lamar back these past couple of years, but it also could be okay. It's going to take Lamar five games to get used to his offense. It's going to take ten games to you know to get used to his offense. And then you look at it at the end of the season, and you're like, wow, this is our first season playing, paying this guy, you know, two hundred plus million dollars guaranteed. And it's kind of like, yeah, do we want to waste that? We got to get moving. So. Okay. I'm with you again. This is not John Harbaugh as a bad coach by any stretch. It's just, yeah. has he gotten a little more credit than maybe he warrants is, is all I'm kind of go for there. And like at a certain point, guys just run their course with the team. People tune you out no matter how much roster turnover there is like a fresh voice goes a long way. And again, that could just be better coordinators or new coordinators at some point to me, but I don't know. Like he's a player's coach. Like you never hear about them doing like two a days at the same you know extent other teams do. And it's at a certain point, like I, I just think you need somebody with a little more like cachet behind them. I don't know if Harbaugh has that for these younger guys. I, it's it's talked about all the time because you look at like just like the Wizards, the Ravens fans are very divided on this topic. But like John John Harbaugh's style is the reason that Patrick Queen is who he is. Mm-hmm. Right? Patrick Queen is a talented linebacker who has been solid at times. He's been atrocious at times. He's always on social media. He's always blocking people on social media. This is a that's a that stems from the way that he's being coached. Yeah. Realistically, if you really dive into it, Marlon Humphrey. Yeah, a little coddled I, and you know, like empowered. Exactly. And then you have guys who are like a little bit more serious and those are the guys that always have the problems yeah. earl thomas had a lot of problems earl thomas is a is an is an anomaly earl thomas is not regular so don't buy don't think that i'm taking like earl thomas aside marcus peters over the weekend got into it with Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. he's always been a more you know a much more serious you know mm-hmm. in your face type of player which doesn't really mess with the way that harbaugh coaches so it's kind of like i think that the other problem with harbaugh is 
a lot of these guys, you know, they, they're accepting of the, of the hardball coddling. So then it's kind of like what Kyle Hamilton's the one that I'm very nervous about. I agree. You, you need, we need that pick to, to pan out like long-term here. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. Cause he's, cause he's also a Patrick queen and Marlon Humphrey guy who are big yeah. hardball guys. So it's kind of like this guy needs to figure it out before he can, you know, function like this. So it's kind of question marks. We'll just call them. I so. just needed to get that out. So thank you for indulging me. And part of this <laughs> is just also to subtly troll most of the people listening to this who like the commanders, because I don't know what everything that's going on with Ron Rivera right now. I think we just pissed them off that we talked about a guy who won a Super Bowl. Is it maybe time to consider moving on from him? It is probably outlandish to to some of them, but uh, you know, I hope them the best is all I can say. That's all. Like my buddy, my buddy's a big, huge Commanders fan who I work with, and he's every day. He's just like, you guys are having problems, and I get it, but I would trade anything in the world. Second, yeah. So. For our commander fan friends, uh, this is us reaching out as a virtual hug. Uh, you know, we all like the wizards. We understand where uh, the ineptitude comes from and what it does to you. So we we hope for better things. Absolutely, uh, Jack. Anything you got going on? You want to promote or plug or and where can people find you on social media and all that good stuff? Uh, yeah, man, I'm on Twitter at Jack underscore Skolnick. That's my last name. It's spelled S K O L N I K. Um, I am formerly a writer for Wiz of Oz. I covered the Wizards for a couple of seasons for Fansided. I stepped away from that to focus on the podcast that I've been doing for a couple of years now. It's music. It's all music oriented. So if you guys have any interest in local music, you can follow us at Working Tea Pod. We do um, a lot of local Baltimore music coverage. I'm not, I'm not a DC guy except for the Wizards. So we cover things on the other side of 295 if you guys have any interest in that. Um, if you have any interest in going on Instagram, my Instagram is jack.season. It's S-Z-N. Working title podcast. That's a very good name for a podcast, by the way. I, I meant to tell you that, but I, I appreciate that. We appreciate it, man. It's been, it's been, a, we've been, we've been doing it for a long time. So, you know, we, we appreciate any type of compliments at this point that we can get. So <laughs> I love it. Very cool. Jack, thank you again for doing this. Everybody, as always, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate when you guys do that stuff. For whatever reason, there's some secret algorithm. So if you say nice things about podcasts online, it helps them in some way that I may or may not understand. Uh, anyone interested, the merch store is still open. It's uh, believe.com slash shop. So represent. Get your merch. That's right. Exactly. All right. It's been uh, Believe in Wizards. Again, we'll catch you all next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.